Hey everyone, before we get to the next episode of Making Comics, I just want to let you guys know that I'll be at San Diego Comic Fest here in San Diego on April 21st through the 24th. It is a smaller convention, um, like a throwback to the old school San Diego Comic Con. It is actually produced and put on by the original creators of San Diego Comic Con. So come down to San Diego Comic Fest between April's 21st through the 24th. Come see me, pick up my books, and uh, let's talk comics. Let's talk the pod and uh, what other pop culture events that you want to talk about. We could do it there. See you guys at San Diego Comic Fest. Now on to the episode. Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisandre for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster, the managing, a managing partner of Invader Comics and the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors. And when it comes to this podcast, the managing partner. The so. editing partner. <laughs> not, not a partner, the partner. The partner. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, man? So, what are you drinking? First thought, first and what, what uh, am I foremost. Drinking? Okay, so I should I should declare uh, I, I should declare to the audience what I declared to you by text. What was that? Two three nights ago, I, I sent Scott a text and I said, "I have an important statement to make," and he was like, "What's that?" And I'm like, "Stouts are a year round beer." That that was my <laughs> big declaration. My big declaration is screw this warm crap. I'm drinking stouts anyway, and the thing I was buying. Uh, was our good friend SD Besties, which it just got in my head. Like it's what I like about it is that a it's delicious, b it's a stout, c it has lactose, and d it's eight point five percent. Nice. That's just ground. a that's just a great little that's a great little hit for an ABV. You know, like that that gets me dancing. You know, but it doesn't get me slobbering like I just took gorilla tranquilizers. And that's, you know, that's none of us want that. I'm I'm, you know, like we, we we're making jokes a lot about like, you know, artist Scott, you know, writer Gary, whatever. And uh, so so podcast participant Keith is doing podcast editor Keith a solid right now by not getting too stupid. So anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking that. I'm on uh, my SD besties because stouts are year round party people. And that's a Belching Beaver, and what's the other one? Is it a Coronado? Uh, I think it is. It is. Well, now it's my turn. Yeah, it is Coronado. It is Coronado. Yeah. Well Boom, done. Look at that. Well done. All right, cool. Well, Daniela, my girlfriend, she got, she went to Trader Joe's, and she saw some different beers, so she decided to go beer shopping for me, and she grabbed something that I have never seen. It's called, uh, well, it's from Bairdstone Ishii. And uh, so I guess it's a stone stone brewery. It's a Japanese green tea IPA. So, I just had that a couple nights ago. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, and this one is a ten point one percent. So That's, that was my favorite part about it. It's a twelve ounce can at ten point one percent. Yeah. Let's, so let's see what this is. Oh, that's nice. Oh, is this a? It's it's an IPA, but it tastes kind of like a stout or a porter. 
Yeah, it's got a weird, it had a weird, like, semi-sweet thing to it. It was the kind of beer, when I had it, I was thinking, this isn't super delicious. It isn't super delicious. And yet, I bought two, and the next night I found myself drinking it again. You know, like, you ever have beers like that where, like, your yeah. your brain's telling you it's not the greatest thing in the world, but maybe because I don't have that many 12-ounce beers and I've been in a little bit of, like, a lighter mood, again, in, in reaction to my 16-ounce, 14% stouts that are just, you know, hitting, hitting hard, I think I wanted a little bit less of a hit. So, yeah, I, I, I liked it. it. It definitely leaves a lasting impression that makes you want to drink it again and maybe grab another can down yeah. the road. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, man. So what was your first thing today? Or this week, I should say. I'm sorry. Yeah, I did some interesting things this week, a little outside of making comics. Um, So the first one I guess I'm going to talk about is WonderCon, which I just did last weekend. Um, There's not a whole lot to talk about. You know, um, it was it was an interesting convention. Uh, um, The first day was really light. But then Saturday and Sunday were pretty heavy in terms of foot traffic, which was nice to see. It was nice to see people back in a convention, back doing their thing. Um, I had a small press table. By being in small press at WonderCon, what that means is you are the absolute furthest thing from the entrance. And I had some buddies in Artist Alley, and the Artist Alley, which is on the absolute other side of the building, is the first thing people go through. Well, they technically don't go through it, but it's it's the first thing after admission. And uh, I, I talked to a few of them, and some people said they, they had a great weekend where it was just, like, super busy. And they even said Friday afternoon was busy, which was not busy for me. Um, but some others said Friday was quiet. And, uh, and what was interesting to me is that I didn't get a chance to break away from the table until Sunday because uh, Rachel was there with me on Sunday. So she was able to just man the booth if I needed to go take a break or go take a walk or just do some shopping. And um, what I saw in Artist Alley on Sunday were some people that were in small press on Friday. I guess they were that wow. disappointed in their foot traffic that they moved to Artist Alley. But then I talked to a couple artists that wished they were in small press. And so I think it's I think it's a great example of the grass always being greener. You know, you always feel like, oh, I want more foot traffic. I might want this. I want that. Um, and, I, you know, I ended up landing the exact place I, I am. I'm sure I could have gotten more foot traffic in Artist Alley. But when I did Comic-Con Special Edition a few months ago, I got tons of foot traffic. And that didn't mean people stopped. And, in fact, I was miscast by being a person selling books in Artist Alley. You know, yes, I'm an artist. Like, we've talked about that when we first met. You're like, oh, this is Artist Alley, but you're a writer. It's like writers are artists, <laughs> you know? But right. visual artists are what people think of in Artist Alley. And, and I think you're going to just kind of have to pick your poison a little bit if you're a writer and or you're, you're making your own books. And a small press just seems like a better fit. You know, less people walked up to my table, but more people who walked up to my table walked away with something, which was always, which, which is always cool. Right. Um, I do have one observation that I'll be really interested to test as we go forward, which is, and, and I'll, I'll give some information without giving details. WonderCon is, uh, it, basically I have three volumes of Kadoja. And what I've seen in the past is a fair amount of new fans coming up to the table not knowing much about Kadoja or knowing something about Kadoja and then deciding, yeah, I haven't bought anything, you know, whatever. Um, I'll take all two or I'll, I'll take both or I'll take all three. 
And so that's what it's been like for a while for like the past year. You know, Portland was like that half a year ago. San Diego was was somewhat like that. But ever since Portland, it's been trending less and less from people buying the entire set and more and more to people buying just volume one. And WonderCon, we've now reached the other end of the seesaw where many, many people only bought volume one. So more customers came to the table and bought books, but way more of those customers bought volume one. And I'm trying to figure out why. You know, I mean, it's great news because it means people are jumping on. And the thing I'm, I'm wondering is, I'm wondering if comic fandom has turned over a little bit. You know, if, if the pandemic has, if, the, if us coming out of the pandemic has gotten some people to come back to shows, or if people are just getting back into comics. You know, I think it's a well-documented fact that, I don't know the exact number, but the average comic fan spends between, I think, 16 and 26 months collecting comics before they jump out. And... I have my own theories for why that is, but I get the feeling that what I've been seeing these last few conventions, because it was that way in Ontario, Scott, when we did that too. Um, I didn't have many people show up and just get all three volumes at once. They got volume one. And um, I'm just wondering if we're seeing an influx of new people getting back into comics again, you know, or getting into comics. So time will tell and we'll see, but I thought that was a really interesting statistic from the weekend. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's another thing where, people are trying to spread the wealth a little bit, you know, like, okay, let me get volume one of this and I'm going to grab volume one, you know, of the next two people, you know what I mean? So it's just like, well, I have more of a chance to kind of test the indie waters as opposed to, you know, going all in on one single book, you know, indie book. So it might just be sweaty, excuse me, spreading the wealth around and, um, you know, maybe just not as much funds, you know, people are limited on funds. Maybe they, got less on their tax returns than they expected. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you never know. Yeah, I mean, those are those were my number two and number three theories right there that you just said. If this was Family Feud, we would have swept the top three. Because it was, <laughs> <Nice>. yeah. <laughs> I, 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 the spread the wealth around was, was my answer on how I would do it. If I was attending a Comic-Con today, I mean, we all have fixed budgets, you know, except for except for those rare few ballers that just get what whatever. Um, most people walk into a comic convention knowing I am going to spend X amount of dollars today. And you want to maximize your enjoyment. And sometimes you're going to find a series that just strikes such a resonant chord that you're going to grab the whole thing. But a lot of times if you're trying out something that seems kind of cool, you're not ready to you know jump all the way in. You're ready to take a shot and see how the story starts and go from there. So anyway. Yeah, and that's the thing with... That's the thing with trades too is you feel like they're always available. Like that's how I feel. When I see a trade, it's like, okay, if it's single issues, I'll probably jump in and grab them because that's the collector mentality in my brain. And when I see trade paperbacks, I go, there's no value there. There's no, no, you know, like, like it's so weird. My brain just does it. And I've done this ever since I was a little kid. So like, even when I had toys as a child, I would keep them in really good condition. I'd play with them still, but I'd keep them in good condition because you never knew. And then uh, as I became a teen, then the toys stopped leaving the packages. But I loved collecting because I like to look at them. But I yeah. like in the back of my mind, it goes, at some point, you're going to let this go. Yeah. And when, when you do, you're going to get top dollar for it. So my brain goes when I'm collecting comics, one of these days, you're going to let these go. 
and the single issue carries value, but the trade doesn't because it's evergreen. Yeah. Like people, you know, stories, if they're good, they'll never go out of print. You're always going to be able to get another copy of volume two or volume three at, from you at another show, yeah. you know, but like, okay, let me just get one. So if I, if I dig the story, then you know, you're going to pick up the other ones because at that point you're just doing it for pure pleasure. You're reading comics to read comics. Um, so, so I kind of get that and it all makes sense to me. Um, so, okay. So when you were in San Diego, you said you were in artist alley, right? And then yeah. this time you were in small press. Small I got to recommend if you can get into San Diego, small press, do it. It is gangbusters. Um, I make what I make in, in small press compared to artist alley is roughly around the same. But the only difference is I'm instead of selling more prints, I'm selling more comics, you know, and, and for me, that's the goal. It's like, well, I'd rather sell, you know, a few thousand dollars worth of comic books than I would a few thousand dollars worth of prints, you know, in original yeah. art. Like to me, that's not that's not what I'm here for. You know, it's like, yeah, you want the financial gain, but you want it for the right reasons. My reason is to spread spread my story around, get people to read the books and uh, enjoy the books as much as I enjoy doing them. So. Yeah, I, like if you can try to try to get into San Diego small press, it's killer over there. Yeah, so two thoughts. One, I've been trying for five years, so hopefully oh. I get in. Um, and then the second thing is to to your point of prints versus books. It's a, it was an interesting show for me to make the final uh, realization. When I started the show, I put a few prints out because it was a, it's an eight foot table which is way more space than I'm used to. You know, like eight feet of table is a lot, especially once you start to use your vertical space well. So I had this extra space. I'm like, shit, let me put some prints out. And I put some prints out, and then I was like, wait a minute. You know what? I, I'd, I'd rather... I, I'm here to sell books. I write books. Unlike you, I don't even do the prints. You know, like the prints I do, yes. For eight years, they've helped the bottom line. They've made a lot of people happy. I'm happy selling them. I'm happy looking at them, but I don't do them. And so I think I think we talked about this before, either on air or off air, that I'm making a concerted effort to make as much of my booth about books as I can. So, you know, the, the prints are, I took them off the table and instead I just put extras of Kadoja volume two singles there. And um, damn it if it didn't work, you know, like I sold singles of Kadoja volume two. So I have singles of volume two and volume three and uh, I did okay on them, you know, like why not? And, and, you know, the thing about running a show booth is that you don't have to sell the thing to have the thing hold value. I have a print of, we did a super limited print run funded through the Kickstarter of Lance Pilgrim's alternate cover to Kadoja Volume 3. It's the one that was printed on like a super high quality paper. It's incredibly colorful. You can find it on my Instagram. And if you follow me, you've seen it a few times, right? It's got pinks, it's got purples, it's got reds in it. Kadoja itself is red. It looks amazing. I have not sold a single one of those things yet. But boy, has it paid off because it gets people over to the table, you know? So sometimes a lot of things that have value have value because it funnels to something else i had a few people look at the comics get into the comics and say like wow these are really cool tell me about it and then i told them about it and they're like oh well that's volume two i should start with volume one right yeah it's probably the best place to start 
So they bought volume one. So those comic books sold volume one, even though they didn't sell themselves. So, you know, it's all part of your table design and, and how you can use everything to to funnel it into the things that uh, that you want to sell. Yeah, the prints, uh, you've been talking about that ever since free comic book day of last year, maybe even before then, it was uh, you going back and forth like, should I, shouldn't I have these even on the table, you know, so ever since then you've been talking about it. So it sounds like you've finally made up your mind and just going to go put those and push those to the back and just bring all the books to the forefront, which is great. I, I will say that I'm I'm going to make a rare exception every now and then. And that exception is I'm doing Monster Palooza in a couple months. It's the first time I've done Monster Palooza. You best believe I'm going to put some Godzilla prints out on that table. You know, like that's Monster Palooza and it's Godzilla fans. So, you know, I'll, I'll bust them out as I need to. But when it comes to comic shows and selling comics, I'm here to sell comics. How many how many copies of volume one do you have in comparison to volumes two and three? Like, you mean, did, was your print run way higher for volume one compared to two and three? Okay, so that's a great question. I don't. This is going to answer your question, but it's not a direct answer. Kadoja Volume One is on its second printing. In fact, um, I'm close to selling out of the second printing. Um, if I if my inventory is correct, I'm down to about forty copies of the second printing of Kadoja Volume One. So I expect that at some point in this year's convention season, I season I will be going to a third printing of that. Um, Are you so, going to change the cover? Nope. Nope, I'm going to keep it the same way it is um, and just put third printing on there. Um, at some point, maybe I get cute, but uh, but I don't know, man. I mean, the, the, the cover's amazing. You know, like I, I love all the covers to to the graphic novels, so so why do anything with them? Um, you know, maybe maybe for something like Three Protectors, when I go to a second printing, I switch it up. But right now, I, I like the, the cover the way it is. Fair enough. Yeah, was that was that your question? Yep, that was like the fact that you can just reprint the volume is is very helpful. Like, and it's something I've been thinking about as far as single issues go. It's just like, okay, I need to think about how many I want of each, and so I'm basically doing a print run of a hundred every time I print my books. So I'll go back and reorder, you know, as needed. But I also kind of want to get to the point where. I'm evening out how many I have of the previous volumes compared to the new volumes. So that way I can start phasing the single issues out potentially and then just switching completely to trades. And because I have enough for a second trade now, honestly, I have more than enough for a second trade. Yeah. You know, thanks to the Drawtober projects, I I have 12 issues total. So the first volume is five issues. So I have seven issues to fuck with. So it's kind of nice like to have that there. Um, so yeah, it's all a balancing act like as far as, you know, the printing goes. It's like, okay, well, how much of this do I really need? My printer gives me a discount when I hit 100. So every time I do a new new issue, it's like do the 100 because you're saving money, you know, per issue. So Yep. Um yeah, so it's just all a matter of getting the previous issues around the same amount and kind of keeping it there. Yeah, I mean, worth worth rehashing is that I had that kind of stuff with Kadoja volume 2, the singles and what I ended up happening was I ended up selling out of numbers three and four because I had, you know, I obviously have more of issue one. Issue ones are always a good thing to have in any capacity. Um, but issue, I printed way less of two, three, four, and five. And as a result, um, I sold out of three and four 
uh, over time and ended up kind of reprinting them in small. Actually, I take that back. I've only had to reprint four, um, two, three, and five. I still have, but then you get to the trade paperback. And at some point you're like, I'm just going to sell through what I have. And, and I think on that note, I'm pretty damn close to selling through some issue. I can't remember what one it is. I think it's number three. Now that's the one that's in jeopardy in volume two. And once that happens, then you almost just go into the area where buy a trade and I'll give you a comic. You know, yep, like that's, clearance them out. Yeah, that's probably the smartest thing to do. But anyway, so hey, that was a long first thing, but but it ended up going to a lot of cool places. Yeah, that's all right. Um, and then the thing you do, like when you do these kickstarters, when you have extra issues of these of these volumes or no, not these volumes of, of these single issues, whatever number they happen to be, you have to get out of the mind frame that well, that cost me, you know, two dollars to print or cost whatever the whatever the number is, whatever your printer does per per unit. You have to get that out of your head because if the books were kickstarted, then it literally cost you nothing because it was the Kickstarter backers are the ones, they're the ones that paid for the issue. So the fact that if Keith runs out of these numbers and then he's just throwing them in, you know, hey, you buy a trade, you get a, here's a single issue, throw that to someone, you know, maybe they'll like it and they'll come back and they'll buy the book. So you're not losing money in any kind of way because it was money that was donated to you uh, via these crowdfunding sites. Yeah, I'll even go one up on that because... I'm not an accountant, and I get the feeling that at least one person listening to this right now is. The thing that I struggle with, let's let's actually take a different example where you paid for the books, okay? It's very natural. When I talk about making back the table, if I'm selling volume one for $15, which I am, you could look at it as I'm selling it for $15, bucks, therefore $15 goes toward the cost of the table, or you can deduct cost of goods sold you can say oh i'm selling it for 15 but it cost me this so the difference between 15 and x is really what goes toward this table right and i've been thinking that way that second way for eight years but here's the problem with thinking that way if you're doing your own business and you're filing taxes which you are because <laughs> that's how you it should works. be yeah. let's say you should be yeah let's let's not so you know, making comics public service, don't get thrown in jail, <laughs> got to do your taxes. You know, like it's, there's a reason we are never going to do a podcast episode on doing your taxes because it's boring <laughs> and it sucks and nobody likes doing them, but you have to do them, right? So don't expect us to talk about it, but yeah, that's the deal. But the thing is, when you do your taxes, like when I bought that grip of volume twos a couple years ago, that cost went against my taxes then. I paid for it then. It's in the past. So why the hell am I deducting cost of goods sold right now? Like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even keep inventory on that level in terms of, like, the taxes and stuff. So I've really changed my mindset there of if I sell the book for 15, it's 15. Like, I profited 15 because that's a cost I paid a very long time ago. It's a sunk cost, you know? And some accountant right now is probably like they've probably pulled over to the side of the road <laughs> just so they can bang their head against the steering wheel at how stupid my accounting logic is. But like this isn't about correct accounting logic. It's about how you want to feel when you're selling stuff in your business. You know, It feels like I'm double counting costs there because I paid for it a couple of years ago and now I'm counting cost of goods sold again. That doesn't seem right. You know, but but yeah. I'm also not an accountant. So fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I have that logic of um it was kickstarted therefore it's not a problem 
Mm-hmm. So I cut when I'm at shows, I cut deals. I'm like, look, hey, you pick up this, or I'll I'll do this and this, right? And and for me, it's not that big of a deal because the biggest cost was the trade paperbacks. All the trade paperbacks were paid for paid for from a Kickstarter. You know what I mean? So it's just yeah. like, okay, well, hey, you buy that trade, you know, boom. I also sell my volume one for fifteen bucks. So it's like there's fifteen dollars right there, yeah. and all the single issues besides six seven and eight uh were kickstarted Mm -hmm. those those for whatever reason i decided to not do a kickstarter for for whatever fucking reason but um i look back and i kind of kick myself in the butt over it because like i have a killer brett booth cover for volume or for issue nine and i didn't kickstart it and it was dumb it was like people would have paid for the brett booth cover you know there would have been more exposure more you know issues would have gotten out uh etc but you know now it's at the point where when I do reprint those issues, um, I do always need to reprint seven and eight. Um, six, I still have copies of that I paid for years ago. But those other issues, they're getting paid for via the Kickstarter. People are ordering the bundle packs. You know, they want issues one through twelve, so they're they're picking those up. And you know, I guess I'll always keep a small amount in print. But then eventually, especially when I start doing some traveling with you, it's going to be mostly trades. You know, it's just like, yeah, I'll have some singles there. But uh, if you want the trades, those those will be plentiful and, and around. I, I would say, so I, I don't know if I misheard that, but I wouldn't reprint comics at this point. If, if you have a trade of something, don't reprint the comics. The second you get a trade of something, stop reprinting the comics. It's... You have no idea how wonderful it is. It's it's refreshing in a weird way to have people come to my table and they're like, "Oh, I see. Uh, where's your singles? Somebody said this actually. Would you have? Where's your singles of Volume One? I'm like, they they sold out. They're gone. You know. And it's there's only so much you can do. You know. So and I and I find that kind of soul nourishing in a way, and I can't explain why. You know, like it because it gets so tough to keep comics in print. And then you'd have to go to different printings and things like that. So I think part of that is my mindset. If you're a Kadoja's completist out there, then I, I know what you have. And you've got some seriously rare shit. Like there are at least three things I can think of that are seriously rare in the Kadoja universe. And that's exactly how I like it. You had, you know, you had a chance, you got it, it sold out, and now you have a really kick-ass thing. You know, and, and I like that. I, I like the thing that, like, it's not available anymore, man. We just sold through it, you know, because mm-hmm. the more product you make, the harder it is to keep everything in print and you just have to make choices after a while, you know. So I'm all for singles if there's no trade out. But when when the second I get a trade for something, I'm not going to pay for singles anymore. Yeah, I'm doing it for the Kickstarters. So I yeah. I have a bundle pack which is the single issues of one through twelve and the single issue collectors out there they pick that up you know and I I haven't done the tr- or the Kickstarter for the second volume yet which I'm going to do I'm I've been thinking about it I'm like well I have more than enough product now to create or to create that second volume which I need to do you know so it's just like okay well that's probably going to be the next thing after Wanderers from Milsanda yeah. is creating the new cover for volume two and then getting that prepped and ready and then launching that that'll probably be ready to go in june i'd imagine because like i gotta finish well no wanderers probably be in june eh, we'll see it, it's all a clusterfuck man like yeah. like timing is everything and this year my timing's a little off um 
But let, let's lead that into my first thing. Yeah. So Wanderers 3 is rocking and rolling. The other week I was having a bit of an issue as far as starting back up, getting in the groove of creating comics again, you know, being on vacation for so long. But I'm there and I'm more than there. It's amazing. Like I feel great. Right before vacation, I was in uh, Jack the King Kirby mode, you know, penciling five pages a day. And I've been penciling and inking a page a day, basically, or, or every other day. So, like, yesterday from start to finish, I finished a page. Uh, penciled it, inked it, ready to roll. It's done. So I'm just like, holy shit, you know, like, I feel like I've jumped a level. And to the point where... I just want to keep rolling. I keep wanting I keep wanting to do it. I hate that I have to go to sleep. You know, I actually was drawing last night in bed and falling asleep while I was drawing. But I was that much in the zone that I didn't want to stop. Mm -hmm. So once my head started sinking forward, I was like, okay, I, I, I got to go to bed. So, uh, <laughs> but it's been pretty amazing, man. Like uh, I think two or three more pages have been completed since I talked to you last. So uh, I'm back in the groove. What, what do you attribute getting in this groove too, you know, like, so you're, you're at this spot where you just, you're more productive and you're kind of like, yeah, come on page, fight me. I'll do you, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> right. Like, like no so, lube. yeah. Yeah. So, so where, like, what do you attribute that to? You know, like where, where's the change in process? Can you peg it to any one thing? Is it just experience? What, what do you think it is? I think it's a combination of things. I think we're, we're closing in on that 10,000 hour thing, man. Um, I don't know. I don't count the hours. They're just rolling. They're just flying. And I think I'm getting there. And experience, you know, just doing this for as long as I've been doing it. I'm thinking about comics differently. Like, this is just such a nice groove for me where once I kind of wrap my head around what I'm doing, I start thinking about it in a different kind of way. So, like, the way I'm thinking about lettering being incorporated into the art. Like, that's just completely changed how I think about comics and how I do them. And um, it's just all of the things I've used, I've learned over the years. I'm finally implementing them. Like, you can tell somebody how to do something, and they can attempt to do it, and they can do it over and over and over again, and they still might not understand exactly. They, they hear what you're saying, and they get what you're saying on how to do it. And when they try to execute it, it doesn't come out like it's supposed to. And the more you do it, eventually you'll get it. And I think I'm just at a point where I understand it kind of on a different level. And and it feels great. Like, mm -hmm. I love it. I just, I want to create all the time. I have so many ideas for Second Shift and Wanderers. And uh, that third book that I'm going to be doing, <laughs> stupidly enough, I'm going to be doing another book. Mm -hmm. But um, I have ideas for all three all the time. And it's just unfortunate that there's not more time in the day for me to do them. You know, it's just like, I wish days were twice as long so I can get twice as much done, but it's not what it is. So I'm doing the best I can with the time that I have allowed. That's fine, man. That's all you can do. I mean, you're limited by that. That's the trouble about having three properties instead of two. If you're saying there's a third one on the way. Oh yeah. It's, it's just, Hey, you're limited by the fact that pages take a long time to do. You know, um, I'm, I'm not as limited by that. I can spit out shit and write it and pass it on to people that are taking more time. And I'm, <laughs> I'm paying them handsomely for that time, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you, you can get to, and you're going to get to that point too. If you know, with your writing, like, I know you're kind of like starting from scratch with your novel. It's, it's a 
different genre. It's not comics. Yeah. So, but you know, you're going to get to the point where, you know, when you send shit to Mike, you know, for a review, he's gonna be like, I got nothing, no notes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. eventually, it's just going to get to that point. The more we do this, the more you guys do this out there in creator land, you know, it's going to sink in. It's just going to be different for you after a while. Like it's just, it's not going to be as hard. It's not going to be as difficult. Some things, obviously they're not easy to do, but your comprehension of them is going to be way higher. It's just going to make more sense to you. Everything's going to make more sense. It's like, I'd imagine it's like when you're learning a different language, you know, at some point shit just starts to click. You're like, yeah, I know what that means. You know, yeah. initially you don't know what the fuck anything means. And after a while you could read kanji or something, you know, and it's, it's yeah. kind of nuts. Yeah. I think I, did I ever tell you that story where I, I, had, I, I took four years of high school Spanish, three years of college Spanish. Oh, wow. No, so, I mean, you know how it is. I mean, you take this shit in high school and it's all gone. You take it in college and it's all gone. But then I, uh, I had a day job where I dealt with the plant in Puerto Rico and uh, so I, I went down there a few times and I really tried to rededicate myself to the Spanish. I mean, again, I could I could you could drop me in Mexico or Spain right now or any other Spanish speaking countries and I'd fart my way through it. I think we talked about that after the Paris trip, right, that that at least I know my basic ways to I know enough Spanish to where I could then get it to English probably, you know, or, you know, you como se dice, you know, I need a carrot, you know, or whatever it is, right? <laughs> like you can, you can do that kind of stuff. And and I'm sure once I used it again, I could do it. But in Puerto Rico, I got to use it a lot. And I remember going to the airport with a couple friends in the car and we got lost on the way to the airport because I get lost in Puerto Rico all the fucking time. That's all I ever did. There's this one bridge that was near the airport, and it was a toll bridge, and every time you fucked up, you basically had to pay a $4 toll. I paid so many fucking $4 tolls for taking the wrong turn. I'm like, fuck, I got to pay 4 bucks because I fucked up again. You know, like, it's it's so easy to miss. Because, by the way, the freeways in Puerto Rico don't have numbers. They have, like, animals. It's like, like you don't you don't take the 55. You take the fucking donkey. You know, it's like, it's like, what, what does that even mean? What is, what is the tree expressway? You know, like, can we number it or something like that? So I don't get lost anyway. Um, I digress. So I'm lost and I, I'm at the edge of an exit ramp and I roll down my window and I, I asked the whole person like, Hey, we're lost. Like, can you tell me where the airport is? And the person's like, yeah, you know, you, you go back up this ramp, just turn around and then you're going to make a right, you know, at the freeway up ahead. And then after that, you should be fine. I'm like, okay. So you said the right or you, the left? He's like, no, the right. I was like, okay, cool. You thank you so much. Right. So I roll up the window and then the two dudes, like the, the girl and the guy in the car, like they're looking at me and I'm like, what? And they're like, that whole thing was in Spanish, man. That was cool. I was like, no shit, <laughs> you know, like, because I was actually thinking in Spanish and that's how it works mm. when you just understand the language. I'm like, that That was, by the way, that is like my, that is my high point as a Spanish speaker. <laughs> so I don't, I don't have any other memories like that, you know, but, uh, but that was such a glorious, glorious memory. So it is cool. It is cool that you think about it uh, kind of in a native language almost and, uh, and it's just sort of you're inhabited with it and, uh, and you roll on. Yeah, man. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that leads into my second thing. And I really only have two big things and the third very small thing. I wanted to talk about this work that that Mike Perkins and I have been doing with uh, OSHA, which is where my kid goes to school. It's the Orange County School of the Arts. And my kid uh, started up a comic creator club. 
And for that Comic Creator Club, um, basically students just got to volunteer to do anywhere from a four to an eight panel, eight page comic. And part of the deal was they would, you know, my kid would kind of coach them along and give them deadlines and things like that. And then Mike and I were going to do feedback sessions twice, uh, once at Pencils and Script and the other time at Finish Comic with, with Inks. And so we just finished our five groups and did um, workshops with them and stuff. And uh, it was really cool, man. You know, it was it was cool to see people that sort of know comics. Uh, it, it's it's various degrees. You know, what, what was interesting is a lot of people in OSHA, they, you know, they're pairing up people who are in like the writing conservatory and the digital media or the art conservatory. So they get to collaborate on something that's really cool. And what was really interesting was the amount of innate knowledge they had. Like one group in particular was fantastic at switching the camera angle around. That artist absolutely knew how to keep it visually interesting as you work your way through a page. You know, like in terms of varying the angle so you're not just looking at that human being eye height image of everything. You know, another artist even though they were loose, loose thumbnails, totally understood page composition. Their pages, in terms of how they were laid out, panel size, panel arrangement, and then even the angles of the thumbnails, all pristine, just the way they did that. A couple other people had wrote, like, they wrote this script that involved what must have been 30 hours of world building. And they were talking through the world building in their workshop, and I'm like, this is amazing. So... Wow. You know, obviously it's loose and these people are learning to make comics, but it was really cool. And uh, it was great to like mentor some people on how to tell stories better and uh, give them some pointers that they, they can either take or leave. I mean, that's how workshops work. We, we repeated that. I, I personally repeated that in every single workshop. You can take or leave these comments. It is your story. It's your story to tell the way you want to tell it. Here are my notes. Feel free to take the things that really move you. You know, if, if, if I give a note and the second I give it, you say, oh, God damn it. Yeah, that's the note right there. You run with that note. You know, if you have to think about it and then you're like, mm, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he just doesn't see it the way I see it or maybe he's not seeing it correctly or blah, blah, blah. That's people's decisions to make. Right. And this goes back into what we talk about with soliciting feedback. Solicit that feedback and then have enough of an ear and enough of a common sense to understand what notes need to be taken. Because there may be some things where you're in denial and you're just like, no. But if three people give you the same note, then guess what? You go, you better take that fucking note. You know, like they're all dialing into the same thing. So anyway, just a little thing on note taking. But it was really cool to sit down with them and um, and see where they're going. And uh, we're about two months away from the finished comics. So uh, I'm excited. That's awesome, man. That sounds great. Uh, sounds like definitely a, a fun thing to do. It's very cool that Mike is donating some of his time and helping you tackle that as well is he doing it in person is he not is he is he doing it via zoom like uh, how's that working it's all zoom i mean mike's not okay. local you know i'm local okay. i actually dropped by the school a couple weeks ago just to give him <laughs> actually random thing um i i drop i just said i told my kid i'm like hey i'll drop by you know it's lunchtime it's not far from where i work let me drop by and say hi and so i drop by and say hi and then i see on the board that she's written um pep talk by invader and i'm like i call her over i'm like what's that pep talk shit and she's like yeah yeah, yeah. i told him you give him a pep talk i'm like i don't have a pep talk prepared <laughs> so <laughs> i just spoke extemporaneously on it which i am i'm decent at so yeah man i just 
I conveyed my passion for making comics and how I truly believe that comics are the greatest art form. You know, you can do so much. You're only limited by imagination. You don't have budget limitations. You don't have real world limitations. You know, the, the line I believe I've given a few times over this last month or two is it takes every bit as much effort to draw two people sitting at a dinner table on a comic as it does to draw an intergalactic space battle. You know, try that with movies. There's no fucking way. You know what I mean? Like, you can film people at a table for free for almost nothing in a movie. Try that intergalactic space battle, though. But comics, same cost. It's all about pencil strokes and writing, man, and, and ink strokes and all that stuff. So anyway, really cool, man. It was it was really fun to, uh, again, to mentor some kids and, um, and, and go forward. Nice, man. Why don't you shoot out that third thing, and then I'll hop on my second. We'll go right to the main topic. We're running yeah. a little behind, but that I think it's okay. We're chopping it up, brother. Yeah, man. It's it's all flowing, so you know, why why cut the conversation short if it's yeah. just rolling through, you know? Super quick. Um and I'm gonna post this in line with this podcast going out. The Crow Magnus cover came back for three protectors. I already shared it with Scott. I think it looks awesome. And people who backed either the uh, variant tier or the master tier, I think you got yourself a really killer cover, man. I'm I'm I was excited to see it and hopefully you will be excited when it goes up on the socials on uh, on the Monday that this airs. Oh, yeah, man. Very cool. Uh, my second thing, super quick. It's not really that important. It's just uh, commissions. I banged out three commissions in the matter of a week. I had a couple of wrestling uh, toys that I had to do. I drew them, knocked them out. They got approved, got paid. Boom. Moving forward. I had some wrestling gear I had mentioned on the last episode that needed to be drawn for someone. Uh, that guy's super easy to work with, so thank goodness I was able to finish that in record time. And uh, yeah, I kept it rolling, man. So right now I'm working on my best friend's last present. So it's his road to 40, and I've been giving him a present every month for the last for this this past year. Um, he did a killer thing for my 40th birthday. He got me a, a, um, a cameo by an actor I really like. And uh, um, it's Roy from the IT crowd. So he actually did a bit from the IT crowd, which which I find hilarious when he's talking about sea parks. And so he kind of did that on the cameo and he just wished me a happy 40th. And I was like, holy shit, this is the coolest thing ever. At that point, I didn't know what cameo was. So I was confused. I thought he just found a video where... Roy was talking to someone named Scott. And so when he just was like, hey, it's your 40th birthday, your best friend, Ralph, he got you this. I'm like, wait, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. And yeah. so I was super confused and he like organized a whole thing. Everyone came over, you know, he had a, a full food spread. It was, it was amazing. And uh, financially, that's not something I could do all at once. So I was like, hey man, I can't do that. I was like, but what I can do is buy you a present every month until your 40th birthday. So it's just like various degrees. Here's 10 bucks, here's 20 bucks, here's 30 bucks, you know, worth of presents. And, uh, you know, then the last one, what I'm working on for him, uh, he's a huge comic nerd, so I'm working on something. On the off chance he listens to this podcast, I won't say what it is. Oh, wait, what, uh, this, com this is coming out, what, after this the 15th? This is coming out the 18th. Okay, so at okay, so he's already got it. Um, I'm working on a crow piece for him because he loves Transformers and uh, the crow. So I'm working on a crow original piece for him, and I'm probably gonna end up turning that into a print. But he's getting the original art for it, 
And um, yeah, so that's the next thing on the docket besides finishing Wanderers three pages. So it's just one thing after the other and it's keeping it moving. Yeah. Okay. So I, I know, I know we're running over on time, but you know what? Dear editing Keith, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Cameo. I don't think I ever shared to you that my wife got me a bunch of cameos for my 50th birthday. Did we talk about this? Oh, no, you did not. A I bunch. did not know this at all. A bunch. So I'm I'm going to do it in like ascending order of popularity. Okay. Um, she So the cameos were Paul Bostaff, that is the drummer of Slayer. Trevor Sternad of the Black Dahlia Murder. He is the lead singer and... I think he writes a lot of the riffs, and maybe he doesn't, but uh, he's basically like the mouthpiece of the uh, amazing American death metal group, the Black Dahlia Murder. She got me uh, two different members of Gwar. Oh, no shit. Did cameos. And then for the Peace de Resistance, D. Snyder, formerly of Twisted Sister, did a cameo. And, That's awesome. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting because you can tell the people, like D. Snyder has done radio shows is a fantastic public speaker. His cameo was amazing. It was amazing. So I'll show it to you next time we hang out, man. It's it's a really, really cool. And it was so cool. I, I show it to a bunch of people, especially Twisted Sister fans. Uh, you know, I, I talk so much about my love of like extreme metal these days. I gloss over the fact that I was a massive Twisted Sister fan way back in the day in like eighth grade or whatever it was when, when they were really popping with uh, the Stay Hungry record and with uh, You Can't Stop Rock and Roll before that. So to have Dee Snyder do that was just cool as hell. And his cameo is one for the ages, what he did. It was, it was amazing. Nice, man. That's, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah, if you guys want to see my cameo that I got... It's uh, around June 8th of 2020. That was my 40th birthday. So uh, you can go on my Instagram page. It's on there. So just scroll all the way down. Look for the 2020s. Look for June, uh, middle of June there. And it'll be there. It's super cool. I love it. Okay, so the main topic for today is... Uh... Hold on. Cut that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. The main topic is... Awesome. <laughs> Whose birthday is it? <laughs> uh, I haven't decided whether I'll cut that whole thing out or just do it. <laughs> okay, so this week's topic, the main topic is... Fuck, I fucking did it awesome. again. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Oh, God. What the I don't fuck know what's is going my, on with I don't you. know what's wrong with my brain today, man. Yeah. I'm like stumbling a lot. I'm, I don't know what's going on. People are really going to look forward to the Patreon when they can pay for that content that we just deleted. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So today's cameo. <laughs> I'm keeping that in. Fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. All right. Go for it. Branding. Branding is the main topic for this episode. And um, it is with great timing because... You just took a branding, uh, it was a class? Like yeah, what, man. What exactly was it? It was uh, It was an author brand seminar. Uh, and this is like left field to a lot of listeners of the podcast. I've, I've actually done a lot of reading on it. Um, but it was by uh, one of the people who, uh, she's like an agent, and she uh, is, is a frequent contributor to the podcast I've referred to ref uh, before called The Shit No One Tells You About Writing, which is an amazing podcast where they they just go ham on query letters all the time. It's a wonderful resource to all the people out there that are looking to write novels. 
for me, it's a great way to have this once a week thing of, yeah, 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 business of writing, you know, like get that query letter ready because inevitably I'll listen to it and then I'll just start like punching in another revision of the query letter that I'm going to plan to send in, you know, July or whenever I'm done with the book. So anyway, it was really cool. Um, Obviously, it's not the first time I've thought about author branding. I'll just go first with my key takeaways and then we can riff from there. I think in terms of building your brand, and again, this is synthesizing not only the thing that I just listened to and sat through and enjoyed, but um, but my own thoughts and our own, you know, stuff as we as we all try to build this. The first thing that, you know, let, let's almost take this in like sort of the hierarchy of, of what you want to do. I think the number one thing is to decide what things you want to talk about and what things you do not want to talk about. You know, I'm... I'm I'm not going to name the person because then that would be like revealing in its own way. But I, a friend of mine has a really nice Instagram profile and and I I commented to them that what I think is cool is when you talk to them in real life, there are all these dimensions to them that are nowhere to be found on their Instagram profile. And the person nodded and they said, yeah, that's by design. You know, like that's what's cool about it. There's kind of this double life. There's the, there's the part and parts of the person's persona they're looking to project online, and then the parts that they keep entirely private. So that's a decision you need to make out there when you're looking to build a, a you know a branding thing. And I, I think we should do a quick thing, a quick mention that when we talk about branding, of course we're talking about social media. Basically, everything is social media when we come here. It's hard to brand yourself and not have social media be a key player in that. Although your own website and your own newsletter would be two other areas where you can really dial into the brand. But in terms of making comics, if you're if you're popular enough in the indie publishing world to have your own newsletter and have that be a successful newsletter that's getting delivered to a lot of inboxes, um, well, then you're ahead of the game, right? That's a great thing. So I think, number one, you, you want to figure out what things you want to convey and more specifically what you don't want to convey. And where it comes to, like, the thing about a lot of this stuff with fancy wording like author branding you know like ooh, author branding what's an author brand you know what it is it's you it's the you you want to convey to the world my um, like that's the biggest takeaway so much my biggest takeaway is that so much of this is just common sense and for you to use some common sense as you're building this right so figure out the you that you want to convey to the world and then figure out a way to convey that you know, if if you're and and if you're one of the many people and probably severe majority of people that are listening to this podcast and are putting content out in the world, your content is probably the number one thing that you can share. You know, um, there are other things you can share as well, but your content is the thing. You know, that's that's the you you're looking to share. You're probably listening to this podcast because you you want to improve the craft, hopefully, and you also want to improve your own visibility your own um what's the word image you know uh, uh persona whatever you want to say but the interesting thing that i learned from this webinar is that a lot of author branding really has less to do with your shit and more to do with you talking about other people's shit you know um the percentage okay so the percentage of space you should devote to your stuff is less 
than the percentage of space you should devote to other people's stuff. So yes, you should share the things that you're doing. You should share the projects you're working on. You should share cool things, but that should be less than half of what you're doing. You know, more than half of what you're doing should probably be shouting out other authors, shouting out cool art, you know, taking pictures of cool stuff, like whatever it's going to be, right? Like being part of a community, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. That's the way of doing it. You know, less than half should be about yourself and more than half should be about the role that you are trying to play in the community. So go out there, read some books, do some things, read some comics, share those comics you read, and then interact with the people that are making them and let them know that because we all do it. You know, like, I think that's the thing. Like Scott and I, we, we read a ton of books. We talk to a ton of people. Give them shine. You know, like if you read a cool book, give it shine. Uh, maybe not, you know, like you could go overboard. I mean, I just read um, a cool new comic this morning that we can talk about at the end if we want. I didn't look up the creator or anything. I just posted the book, you know, but in a lot of cases, that's all you need to do. You know, if you want to find the author, shout them out and add them on whatever social media you do. I'm very Instagrammy, So everything I do tends to be Instagram because that's just my favorite thing um, in terms of the social medias. You know, again, use your judgment and, and do that when you need to. But, but what's most important is not just for you to share the stuff you do, but to become part of a, of a community, you know, and, and what I see with a lot of Instagram profiles unofficially is so much of it is what they're doing. And that's okay. Like there are times where it has to be what you are doing during the three protectors Kickstarter. I posted every single day with some kind of thing having to do with three protectors, interior art works in progress covers, things that related to three protectors like that's normal it's very normal during a promotion phase for something to spend all your time on promotion but in these other periods it's really more about you being a member of a community and figuring out how you can contribute to that community yeah something else um as far as social medias go is your handle so that's something you want to make consistent through all platforms if possible you know, that branding needs to be strong. Like you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram. And I think even Facebook.com, if you just put at Scott Lost, I think it might pop up, might pop up. I'm not quite sure how that works. Um, so that social media branding is important. Keep it consistent so it's easy for people to find you. And um, like Keith was saying, what you're putting out into the world, that's something you want to keep consistent. Like our brand here on Making Comics, we draw indie comics, we talk beer, we talk uh, collecting comics, that's our brand. We talk basketball, uh, Keith talks metal. So it's those are our brands, those are who we are, that's what we're conveying to you. We have a lot of other stuff going on in our lives, but those aren't things we talk to you guys about because that's not the brand that we're giving you. You know, our comic brand is what we're giving you. And that's that's what we want to share with you when we meet you at conventions or we communicate with you online and social media. Uh, that's the brand. You know, we don't want to talk to you about the other the the daily life stuff. You know, like that's that's not is what in, is important 
as far as our comic brand goes, our social media brand goes. It's like how we want to interact with you is what we're presenting to you. So that's something to think about moving forward when you are doing your own branding. Once you start, if you've not started already, you know, that's very important to have a consistency. Make sure you're consistent through all of those social medias. Um, personally, I don't talk politics as much as possible. Um, that's not part of my brand online. And uh, honestly, it's not really part of my brand in person. Like, that's not something I like to convey. <laughs> so I've actually had someone at a show try to get me to talk politics with them. And I just told him, I said, hey, man, I'm, I'm not going to talk politics with you. And he said, why not? And I'm like, because I'm at a comic show. I'm not here to talk politics. I'm here to talk comics. And I was like, so if you want to talk comics, we can totally do that. But if, if you want to talk politics, I'm, I'm not the right guy for you. And he moved along. And, yeah. and it was better for both of us for it. You know, it's just like, I'm not going to talk to you about this. Like, what? Why are you coming here and trying to bring the bullshit? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's not what this is for. Can we title one of our episodes, Bring the Bullshit? <laughs> That'd be kind of fun. Yeah. And by the way, on a, on a side note, uh, we we talk basketball as as often as this in real life, if not more, probably more. Because when we're just bullshitting, we're probably getting basketball thoughts out there because we know not to talk about them as much on the podcast anymore. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, again, like it, it, it's it's not rocket science, you know, um, the other couple things which I, I knew already um, in terms of this webinar, but it, it's good to reiterate. Like straight up, the most important thing you can really do is create a cadence for you to post and follow that cadence. If you're the kind of person that can only post once a week, stick to it. If you're the kind of person that can post, you know, basically once a day, stick to that. It's it's all about you creating that expectation with people for interaction and then following your own expectations that you're setting. And that's that's about it. You know, like there's so much more but there was one note that I got. I want to find it here. It's a really cool one. Um, I know exactly where I wrote it. Here we go. One person gave the advice and they said, remember that most of this is trial and error, which I thought was a great note. Don't forget that. The people that are experts, they still don't know what the hell they're doing. They're trying stuff. And there are parameters to stick to within all of that trying stuff that I think common sense will dictate for you to do. But don't be afraid to try new stuff within these confines that you're setting for yourself when it comes to putting yourself out there socially. Again, this is an online persona you're creating. You have the privilege of being able to create this online persona for yourself and of branding yourself and creating this quote-unquote author brand, artist brand, writer brand. If you're an artist, then that gets to dial itself down into even the things you choose to draw. You know, as someone who writes and is going to post photos of books I read or things like that, you know, like those books I choose are important. You know, I, I actually, I just, I just had this internal debate 30 minutes ago before the podcast, 30 minutes before the podcast. I read this really cool book recently. It's called The Old Woman with the Knife. It is a translated a book from, I believe, Korean about a 65-year-old female assassin, okay? It's a phenomenal book. I have no intention on posting it to my Instagram at the moment because I feel like I want to stick to horror books because that's the place I want to be. 
Old Woman with the Knife is super cool, but it's not a horror book. And I, again, I just want to make sure that I'm kind of sticking to my brand. So that's, if you, if you're on my Instagram now, or you're going to go there, expect to see more horror books there. Um, stories are different. I think stories you can do just about damn near anything, but in terms of things like that, like if you're creating a permanent record, then you want to make sure that that record has some sort of theme to it. Yeah. So the, I'd say the main theme is consistency. You want to be consistent with the things that you're doing, you're posting, whether it be posting once a week, you know, five times a week, whatever that is, you know, your, your name, you know, uh, throughout like if you want to look to an artist who is amazing at branding look at j scott campbell um his branding i used to mimic my branding after him because of how he presented it it was just like his name his name was his brand you know and he had like a logo to it it was like a female face with the hair swoop and his name in front of it and just the composition of everything he does it's perfect like i think he has graphic design um uh uh, education i think that's something he took um as he was you know a teenager or going through college or whatever so he has the chops for it and his website his posts everything about him screams brand you know he is the brand you know like when you think j scott campbell you think sexy women and so his logo was a sexy woman You know, and that's just like staying on brand with him, you know, like, yeah, he'll draw Spider-Man here and there. And but it's usually with uh, Black Cat or Mary Jane or something like that. So he stays consistent. He stays on brand all the time. So if you want to look to someone as far as amazing branding goes, that's the guy you like. You'll be hard set to find anyone else that brands better than J. Scott Campbell. So I think I think something else that falls under branding is your style. So like Bendis has a style and I kind of consider consider that his brand, you know, the way he writes, you know, like, like the way J. Scott Campbell draws, that's his brand. That's just how he does it. Jim Lee, whoever else I, I want to make sure I'm having that consistent brand as well. Like when you pick up my books, it's consistent throughout, you know, it's a little tough because Wanderers, I'm doing this amalgam of my style mixed with a manga but it's also something I'm trying to do consistently overall. Like I want to have a nice blend of Western comics and manga. Like I, that's what I want. I want I want to merge those styles to be one. So at some point, the Wanderer style and the Second Shift style will be one in in its own. You know, it's just like yeah, I have a bit more of a manga bend on the Wanderers, but that's intentional because it's a manga style book. Um, so. Uh, consistency and style is huge, but your style is a big thing, you know, like whatever that is, keep it consistent and you'll be good to go. Yeah. I wanted to bring up one final thing, which is if you listen back to what I said, and then you listen back to what Scott said, being an artist allows you to do a lot more with your work. You know, like my notes are almost more specific to writers because writing does not Instagram well you know it it, it tweets well but I don't do Twitter so I can't really speak to that Instagram is great for artists it's a visual medium you know I mean a lot basically a lot of things suit themselves better to artists so if you're an artist I think your branding is going to be a lot different in terms of the content you choose to do you know you can draw just about anything in your style and it's going to work in terms of your branding when it comes to writers you know it's a little different 
you're going to have to be more community oriented, more books you're reading oriented, more things like that. It, it's much tougher to be visual with what you do as a writer because that's going to be more about life and the content that you're digesting as opposed to things that you're doing because nobody likes looking at a script. Just you, you, There's no way to really dress up sitting at a laptop and writing or writing in a journal or photographing a page of your script. You know what I mean? Like it's not visually interesting and them's the breaks. So you need to figure out some other things you can do to be visually interesting because every medium on some level is pretty visual. Yeah, that's all I had, man. Yeah, that's all I got too. So uh, hopefully that covered the topic well enough for you. If you have questions on branding, of course, hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, so, man, you got any bullshit stuff you want to talk about? At the I end got here? I got what I think might be a top three weird bring in bullshit the, thing. You bring in the bullshit? I'm bringing the bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Can we call this segment that? That would be great. Yes. Yeah. All right. So officially, we're changing the name of this segment to bringing the bullshit. We're bringing the bullshit. And this. So again, this, this what you gotta, be brought in today? This has got to be top three bullshit brought in, which is. This last week, as I've just driven around life, has been an abnormally... Okay, three times, three times in the last week, I have been driving on a road and had a squirrel run in the middle of the road and make me petrified that I was going to run that fucking thing over, right? Because anybody who's seen a squirrel in a road knows... It can, it can do whatever it wants, right? So, like, I had a squirrel, like, like they dart kind of trying to cross the street. They try to dart in front of your car, and and you're like, oh, thank God, that squirrel's not going to double back. And then it looks like it's going to double back, and you're like, what the fuck are you doing, squirrel? You know, like, it just senses a car <laughs> You coming. made it. You were safe. You made it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, squirrels are just doing these weird double moves, and they're, like, deking things that aren't there, and they have to cross two lanes of traffic with cars that, you know, on these kind of streets are probably going between 35 and 40 miles an hour, maybe sometimes faster. And, uh, boy, it's just been harrowing. I mean, all I'm, I'm happy to say all three squirrels have survived, but <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think they owe their own actions a lot to that success because it just felt like there were easier paths to success in all three. Not only have I th- had three squirrels do that in the last week, I've had three squirrels do that in the last year. The 51 weeks that led up to this week had exactly zero of these <laughs> squirrel incidents happen in the road. And again, they're just they're nerve wracking because you're like the squirrel makes it and then just perks its head up and you're like, oh, shit, it's going to double back. It's going to double back and there's nothing I can do and I'm going to run it over. And then it just figures it out. And it's like, oh, God, that was that made my blood pressure go up a little bit. Anyway, <laughs> I had no squirrel incidents. No um, squirrel I did incidents. see it. I did see a dead raccoon, but I have been uh, on a bit of a spending bend. You did so it. You're back. Last... What was that? Like three weeks off? <laughs> yeah, two, two. maybe. <laughs> I took a vacation. Yeah, it's it's it was like a weekend holiday. So I've been buying books like crazy. So there's been a couple of series. I'm not going to say it on the air because I don't want any more competition like I did with the Daredevil comics. Um, A couple of modern comics that are not very consistent when they come out, but they've been options, so they're kind of higher priced. 
So last last time we talked on the air, I was looking for Time Before Time. I've managed to get all of those books on eBay, um, undercover price. So like runs around cover price when the shipping is all said and done. And so it's nice to get those books like Radiant Black I, I finished up, uh, Time Before Time I finished up. So it's just like, okay. Those were ones that were a bit of concern because they seem to be popular series and I don't want them just to keep going up and up in price and, you know, we're screwed. Uh, something we talked about before we started recording is these books that I'm looking for that are a little bit older, I didn't realize, and it's hard for me to wrap my brain around, the fact that we are in a time where the print runs are not huge. So, like, if you're looking for Invincible... A lot of those books, especially the early books, you're looking at 6,000, 10,000 print run on those, you know, at most. And so they're very hard to come by. And I'm finding that right now, a lot of those books are the same thing. Like it's, we're still in the time with limited print run. So if there's a book that you think is hot and you're just like, well, I don't think this is going to go up because it's, it's the book right now you're probably wrong. Like Saga is a book that I thought that exact same thing with. I was like, well, this is the book everyone's talking about. Everyone wants it. Everyone's going to have it. It doesn't matter if everyone collecting comics right now gets it. There's still not a lot of them to go around. Like, like the amount of people that are collecting comics right now is a fraction of what it used to be. So in the future, that book, that's the hot book. It's going to be the book that you're going to wish that you bought back in the day, but you thought it was a hot book, so you didn't get it. You know, it's, it's like you're going to pay $200 for this book, you know, in the future. And I'm finding that to be the case with this one particular series. It's not like in the $200 mark, because then I'd be like, fuck it, I'm not getting it. But it's like <clears throat> two, 20 bucks a book. Uh, you're looking at $20 an issue. Every single issue I buy will be $20, and it's a pain in the ass. Because I was collecting comic books when the series was coming out, and I was like, eh, it's only okay. But then it gets optioned, and you're like, ah, fuck, I should have got that book. So now I'm kind of paying the price because I already have the... Thankfully, I have the first two issues, but now I'm trying to play catch-up. and But now I'm paying $20 an issue. But if I've learned anything is, like from Invincible, if you're thinking about it before the thing gets released, you're going to pay 20 bucks. but once the thing gets released, everyone else is paying 40 to 50 So... Pay the $20 now, avoid the $50 later, or, you know, so on and so forth. Like, uh, Battle Battle Beast was a character in Invincible. I think it was issue number 19 or 21, something like that. It was a $20 book when I was looking for it. At that limited print run amount, it was 20 bucks. I, I hemmed and hawed, and then the series was getting closer and closer to release, and then the book took off. Then it was a $30 book, and then a $40 book, and then it's a $70 book. And it's just like, dude, get it at the fucking 20 and stop hemming and hawing. It's 20 bucks. So that's, yeah. is real, realistically, you're paying four, five times what the cover price is. Okay, that's better than 10 times, you know? So just, just get it and get it done. Yeah, man. Now, I mean, again, that's, <clears throat> I, I am in an opposite spot. I'm just in no mood to get shit. I'm, I'm just, I'm really doubling down on like, do I want to read it? If I want to read it, I'm going to buy it. And I'm just, I haven't, you know, ever since I got Spidey 361 a couple weeks ago, which by the way, was the first comic of significance I'd bought 
in the month and a half before that. I'm just sort of in this clearing still, you know, like I'm, I am motivated by current books that are interesting. So I will mention that when I went to nowhere comics in Carlsbad, I might be Vista, it might be Carlsbad. It's a bunch of cities that are all close to each other. Carlsbad, Vista, Escondido, they're North of San Diego. Jacob at the store recommended Harbinger, the new Harbinger by Valiant. And I just read issue one this morning and I thought it was really cool. So again, is it perfect? No. Was it really cool? And do I want to read all of them now? I absolutely do. So, um, and you know, Valiant, like no disrespect to Valiant. It's just, they haven't been a buzzworthy name for years. And um, I, I haven't bought a Valiant book in a while. And uh, this this was pretty cool. And I was like, okay, yeah, I, I think I can get down with Harbinger. I, Harbinger was always the thing I liked the most, even back in the day when Valiant first launched in the late 80s, early 90s. I think that's when it was. But um, but yeah, man, just just super cool shit. So I, that, I, got, issue, I got issue one of that because yeah. they had a Jim Lee cover. Oh, nice. And huge Jim Lee mark. I have a, um, like my comics are in alphabetical order by company. And but Jim Lee has his own bin. Like all of nice. my Jim Lee comics are in a single bin, so Harbinger is in there. Funny enough, I used to mispronounce that. I was like Harbinger. What's a Harbinger? <laughs> fucking idiot. I think I was uh, thirteen or fourteen. I know what a Harbinger. So yeah, that's all good. We all learn. I... And I used to call. Uh, oh no no. You know what? I think that was hardcore. Oh okay. But it was spelled like C O R P S. Yeah. And so I used to call it hard corpse. The hard corpse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the hard corpse. Well, don't feel bad because it took me till like my 20s to realize that hors d'oeuvres was that shit that was spelled hors d'oeuvres, right? Because I was like, <laughs> what are hors d'oeuvres? You know, I never fucking knew. And this was my 20s. And I'm like, oh shit, it's hors d'oeuvres. It's been hors d'oeuvres the whole time. It was hors d'oeuvres the whole time. That's the plot twist. No no one saw it coming. Yeah, no one saw it coming. It was hors d'oeuvres the whole time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that's about it. You know, like I, uh, again, I'm just not in much of a collecting spot right now. Again, I'm about to. I wish to, I was there. I'm about to go on a couple trips and uh, we'll see what I find. But I'm really in the mood to just open myself up to whatever those comic shops have as opposed to going in with a preordained thing. You know, and, and that's generally where I am. You know, if you know what you want, get it online. If you're ready to just open yourself up to the magic of whatever things are in the back issue bins, go to a shop and just start digging. Ideally in like the dollar bin or cheap bins or something like that. Because that's, that's where the fun inspiration lies. Because if you just go into the bins, you're going to be like, oh, well, what comics do I like? Scott likes Invincible. Scott likes Savage Dragon. So those are the first bins he's going to go to. I'm going to go to Fantastic Four. I'm going to go to Amazing Spider-Man. I'm going to go to Batman. But you'll inevitably carve the path that you want to carve through that store. Where if you go to like the dollar bin or the $2 bin or the discount bin or whatever, now it's just whatever's there. And that's much more brain expanding than if you go in with your typical want list or your typical things that you're looking for. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have a book that I'm like semi-interested in and I follow a bunch of auctions online. Haven't bought a single issue yet. Cause... Well, I'm jealous of you because <laughs> I'm buying damn near everything that I see and it's a problem. So I need to chill the fuck out. Um once I, I think once I get this series complete, my brain will stop. 
But uh, also, that's a lie. I feel like I just lied to you, like because I don't feel like that's true at all. Yeah, yeah. You're just, you're just <laughs> because I thought I thing. was already there. Yeah, I thought else, I was already there. Something else will be the hot thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So again, it's it's the place you're in. But in fairness, I think I think I sort of went ham a couple months ago, and you didn't go as ham. You know, um, I think you had like a delayed effect the first time where I was just buying fucking everything I could possibly think of, and that was including like recollecting a lot of stuff. My first big run when I got like Secret Wars 8 and Spidey 252 and, you know, the things that are super nostalgic to me, um, you were like, yeah, cool for you, you know, and then you, uh, my wave crested and your wave kind of peaked and then you went away for a while and now you're, you're back with a vengeance, baby. Yeah, unfortunately, and my my pocketbook is taking the blunt of it. So, <laughs> unfortunately, all this commission work that I'm doing, it's just going right back into the hobby. Yeah. And uh, my comic book room is a tomb in which I will be buried in because the boxes are just getting higher and higher, and I'm running out of room here. So, <laughs> um, i got to figure something out. I remember that line from a couple of months ago that you said, like, if there was an earthquake right now, I would die. it's 100% true it's more true now than it ever was Yeah, you'd be buried and and I'm looking behind you right now like that is that is a 4x4 Ikea shelf that then has a box stacked on it like a long box or a short box I can't tell and then two additional like paper ream boxes on top of that so you basically have boxes stacked at least 7 feet of the 8 feet in the room that you presumably have right there how many more boxes can you collect <laughs> more boxes? I actually just had to buy a bunch of boxes. They'll probably get delivered soon. Cause I am also at a capacity in my collection. Although something about this level of capacity, I'm just like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Stop with the volume. You know, like I can still collect books. I just want to dial down the volume that I'm collecting at the moment. You know, that's what I need to do. It's unfortunate because I keep finding things that I want. You know, it was like at one point it was the um, Brandon Graham or uh, Brandon Graham profit run, you know, relaunched uh, from the Rob Liefeld title. And I got that series and it's just like, oh, I have, you know, it is a four by four Ikea Calyx and eight of them belong to modern image comics. Eight of them belong to past image comics from the 90s and I gave enough room to where I can, you know, for the modern ones, like add to them. They're getting to the point where they're going to be filled up because the thing I collect the most, the thing on my pull list, if you looked at my pull list, I have about 20 image comics and three Marvel comics, two DC comics and three Dark Horse comics. And then I think um, miscellaneous, I think there's like four miscellaneous. So it's just like my image comic wall is getting insane and I'm going to, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen because I have no more room. It might get to the point where I just need to box my 90s image comics back up and just put them in the closet or something. Because yeah, those are series that aren't growing. They're stagnant. They're dead. They're dead series. You know, like there's only two series that, no, honestly, one series from the 90s that I still collect, and it's Savage Dragon, so that's in my modern comics run, but that takes up a bin in, like, a bin on its own. Like, there's 267 of them, and um, I don't have all of them. So that bin has some some wiggle room in it, and it's constantly getting added to by you and me, and uh, so it's just like, 
that's going to need its own. I'm going to have to pull that out of the the modern image comics run just to make space. You know, yeah. it's just so insane. Like the volume in which I'm collecting is is so nuts and. And I think it's because I have so many different types of interests when it comes to collecting. It's like I have the modern runs. I have uh, um, the classic Golden Age runs like Daredevil that I'm still collecting. Uh, I have an indie comics bin. So it's just like all of these different things that are making the collection grow and grow. And it's just like at some point I don't know what the fuck to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're you're harder core than I am. I mean, that's you're harder corpse than I am. You know, that <laughs> well it's, it's, it, that's, that's just the facts. I, I, I had my moments where I kind of swim out into the Scott lost portion of the sea. And I'm just like, this is too deep for me, man. These, these depths are not <laughs> what I can handle. I need to swim the fuck back into shallow waters. And then that's what I do. I will part, I will part the ocean. Yeah, collect yeah. These books. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, all that, right, that was all I had, man. Cool. Yeah, me too. All right. Yeah. We're running long anyway. So, um, yeah. All right. Uh, you can find me at Scott Lost on social medias, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. And hey, while you're at it, try at Scott Lost on Facebook.com. See if you can find me that way. I'm curious if that works. If it does work, let me know. Yeah, for me, you can find me at at Keith underscore Invader on Instagram. That is me. And that is where I get to flex my brand new tricks on author brand. Uh so maybe you'll notice subtle differences and maybe you won't. I'm not sure. And then there's also at Kadoj Kaiju. That's all one word. I post that much less frequently, but I do still post on it because that's my fun place to have fun with giant monster stuff. And as we get toward, you know, the end of May, um, we're probably going to be launching a Kickstarter again for the brand new issue of Kadoja. I'm working on that cover right now. And I actually did a mock-up of the cover and I think it looks decent, but I haven't shared it with anyone yet because I'm afraid. But that'll happen soon. And I got to get feedback at some point from people to make sure that it's decent looking. So, yeah, man, those are the two best places to follow me. I'm definitely an Instagram person. I'm on some other places, but uh, Instagram is is the place to be. You can find my book, Second Shift, A Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Milsanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans at AccidentalAliens.com. I also have stories in the Accidental Alien Anthologies, 2017, 18, and 19. 17 is only available digitally, but you can get physical copies of 2018 and 19, as well as Tales from the Mothership. That was our 2020 offering, and I also have a short story in there. So feel free to pick up any of those books at AccidentalAliens.com. Yeah, to paraphrase Samuel L. Jackson, it never motherfucking works. Motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. <laughs> I, I saw that in theater, by the way. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. commitment. Dude, that was like the first big time the internet rewrote some shit. You know the internet rewrote that movie, right? Yeah. That 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 the original script had no part like basically the the movie Snakes on a Plane got announced. And then a bunch of people did things on what they thought the movie was going to be and one person did. I'm tired of these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. And they ended up putting that in the movie. Like the internet memes rewrote the movie. Pretty bonkers. Oh, wait, no shit. Okay, I did not know no, that. I thought bonkers. you meant the fact that it the movie was a dud. But the internet loved it so much that it actually made it a hit. That's what I thought you meant. Yeah, I didn't no, know no, that. the, the movie, crazy. the movie was still a dud even after the internet made it a hit. But the internet helped rewrite the movie because people were so enamored. I used to have a T-shirt actually. I think it was on Threadless, 
and it had a, an icon of snakes and it had plus an icon of plane and then it had the icon of snakes on the icon of plane <laughs> anyway good times good times i was when i went to see that i was convinced that it would be some kind of modern day rocky horror picture show but it turned out it was just a bad movie <laughs> so go figure go figure um yeah keith rfoster.com is the site where you can find some stuff on me you can find some blog posts and of course you can find a store where you're able to catch yourself up on kadoja and coming soon three protectors will be there as well in fact i'll i'll do my best to put up a pre-order link for three protectors for anybody who might want to grab a copy direct through me once it comes out in uh what i expect is late may and if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns about this episode or any other episodes that we've done, uh, things you want us to talk about, things that we talked about briefly and didn't talk about enough, uh, let us know. Podcast at gmail.com, as well as all of our other social medias that we just talked about to you previously. Like, Scott loves hating himself for buying so many comics. What I love is five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. That's that True. that warms the cockles of my heart, and not only that, Scott loves it too. He loves it so much that he's probably going to buy a couple books right now as we're talking to celebrate the fact <laughs> that he loves five star reviews on Apple Podcasts. So by all means, go there, go to Spotify. You know, we would love it if you threw us five stars, if you threw us some nice words. It really does help. You know, the algorithms. That was another thing on this uh, seminar, uh, webinar. It talked about how, like, algorithms, you know, the funny thing about algorithms is they're actually designed to try to help you. That was the whole big thing here. That when you put a post out into the world and it gets on the algorithm roller coaster, those algorithms are doing their best to figure out how to maximize your post. And you can do things to tweak that algorithm just like giving us five stars on something. In fact, that'll make your Instagram page better. That's how it works. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that by giving us five stars, you get more visitors to your own page. That sounds technically accurate, and I'm sure Silicon Valley people can back it up. So try it. Give it a shot and uh, and see how the algorithms work. Much like Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite, if you give us a five-star review, all your dreams will come true. <laughs> so make sure you do that. Once you do that, Keith will fill all the cockles in his heart. So make sure you put your cockle <laughs> in his heart by giving us a five-star review. <laughs> My heart has room for so many more cockles. So many cockles. Uh, all right. Uh, hey, we did it. We did it. <laughs> we did it. Another episode in the can. All right. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah, yeah.